was broken before I was born. And this is true. My first owner was Ivar Halfron. Enough. The spoilt daughter slammed her palm on the ship's media surface. Thimblewinter's voice cut out as the image of the ship's avatar froze. The spoilt daughter didn't have to be too accurate with her hand. She only wished that she could do more. She wanted rid of these sounds and pictures. She wanted control, but beyond the most basic personal hygiene and food preparation functions, all of the White Raven controls were now slaved to Thimblewinter's saga. And that was a fine example of what the spoilt daughter would call making your damn point. You could slam anything to stop the woman ship. Slam once more and the saga was all yours to enjoy, stroke, endure again and again on an endless loop. The beautiful woman ship narrator was clearly a construct. Her image or bright green eyes, deep shadowed cheekbones and morbidly interesting small pointy white teeth. Her speech was a lengthy discourse on the unhappy beginnings of a fast light dragon. This being as far as the spoilt daughter could ascertain a Nordic vessel with far too high a regard for herself. Yet the story of Thimble Winter came with some fascinating details about the people, an ancient, for want of a better word, mafia, who actually owned a wolf mouth. This all rounded off with a highly disturbing passage about using a blind child to dishearten and thus destroy an already ailing alien god. And that was it. That was all that the starship White Raven was now able to do. It was to host this one-way message that would play over and over, like a tyrant's primitive brainwashing program. The spoilt daughter had no access to her own ship's course guidance controls, communications and weapons, and that wasn't the worst of it. A few hours earlier, the spoilt daughter had been alone on the White Raven storage deck. She'd been doing her daily exercises, which were stretches, leaps and deadly combat routines. She was on the storage deck because this was a practice that was best conducted behind locked doors and with all surveillance lenses jammed with wadded up tissues. She followed these precautions to be out of the way from the usual ruffian nonsense plus lecherous interest arising from her fellow crew members. There were only nine crew members on the White Raven and in all the history of the Speckle Path, past, present and future, they are unlikely to earn a mention anywhere else. A man named J.P. skippered the rig. He had been the one with the deep voice who jumped into the spoilt daughter's messages and thus the first contact on this perilous endeavour stroke disappearing act. And for a man of his own particular world, J.P. had seemed decent enough. A fine example of the half-finished, semi-gentleman the military churned out, specifically, the sport daughter believed, to fulfil informal civilian roles, such as pirate captain. He skippered White Raven, a quasi-legit, quick blade, kitted out with 
science gear that could very quickly be reconfigured into powerful energy guns. GP no doubt boasted a long resume of deals both mundane and super suspect to his credit. That's JP. Basically an okay fellow who had his purposes. Plus a certain charm. Now we must come to the rest. First Officer Marley was clearly JP's former main girl and, with the grift and grit of the street still on her, daggers drawn with that one. Daggers were drawn from day one. Then the engineer, Ginnett. Ginnett was a sneaky little thug. The absolute worst kind. Weak but mean. Move on quickly. Next, the bully boys, Reynold and Jax, who were there for bodyguard work. Neither were extra brilliant or particularly stupid, but they did smell of weird chemicals, so fuck them. Or rather, don't. Lastly, the actual space monkeys around the ship were Chains and L. Months, a squat little couple who rotted up a storm when not keeping the engines in line. Pirates. Maybe that was what they were. All the spoilt daughter could think of was sour body odour and mental undressings. Seriously, what had she been thinking of getting in with this mob? Lucky they all knew that the spoilt daughter carried quite a sting, so they kept their hands off. But the unwanted attention could be wearing and raised a big question of how in 8,000 hells she'd dispose of these clowns when she got to where she was going. Until what happened happened back to the storage deck. The spoilt daughter was exhausted from her cool-down routine of squats, jumping jacks and shadow swordplay. In short, she was done and now wanted a drink. So she towelled herself off, unwadded the cameras, then palmed the lock and opened the door. The spoiled daughter stepped into a corridor transformed. Every surface was covered in what seemed at first to be shiny blue fur, but was in fact a thick layer of blue frost. It was a magical effect, and the spoilt daughter's first thought was that someone had arranged a surprise party for her, because now the White Raven was a veritable wonderland. By now several days into a space voyage, the spoilt daughter would thoroughly savour a jamboree, so she padded forward, marvelling at the blue glow of the frost. What was this? She needed answers. Lunatics, where are you? Because it soon dawned that the White Raven was empty. Not wanting to be rude, but it was the air quality that first alerted the spoilt daughter. The corridor atmosphere had a chemical tang to it. It was only now that she realised how much everyone stank, herself included, quite possibly. The blue ice corridors echoed and were emptied. What was this? Had White Raven put the storage deck to one side and then sterilised itself? Was that a function? And the answers rapidly became clear. Yes and yes. Despite her reservations about the crew, the spoilt daughter didn't hold any specific animosity against them. This was a grievous crime scene. 
as she scoured the ship, it was clear that they had been frozen and then flushed. But no, not quite. The ice murders were actually even worse than that. The spoilt daughter noticed a panel that she had not seen before. Casually, she flipped it back and read the neat little runes. It said, Emergency Escape Vehicle Deployed Deployed Oh, damn you! Damn you all! So she went a bit mad then. No tears, but rather the front of her fists beating with force and skill on the weird, frosty walls. Just a minor tantrum to get it all out, because the ice murders had been aimed at the spoilt daughter and all her dreams. And this absolute pack of bastards had simply checked out, leaving her behind. So. So the spoilt daughter ended up in the long room where she had already passed several evenings doing her best to join in the crew's conversations. Now there was nothing but the evil blue ice covering the chairs and table. The blue ice that wasn't even cold. It was horrible. What exactly had happened? Was this her husband's doing? Working a grudge against her for the crime of marital desertion and also, yes, looting the last of the secret bank accounts? But the situation on White Raven all seemed a little too elaborate and expertly executed for him. So, what about our good? Was this how the colour army did things? Someone was responsible. And that someone would pay. Just then, a screen flickered on, and the woman ship started to tell her saga. At first, the spoilt daughter ignored it, assuming that this was a scripted entertainment sparked randomly into life. But when she found the image to be on every other screen on White Raven, with the saga repeating over and over, she began to get the distinct idea that something was going on and a point was most definitely being made. I am Thimble Winter and I was broken before I was born. And this is true. My first owner was Ivor Halfrom and the next boot up your ass crack shall be mine, the spoilt daughter thought. But okay, so you're the monster who did this. I'll hear you out. And then, let's speak. But no, the spoilt daughter had to listen to it. And then, all over again. Although, the spoilt daughter took in really very little of what was being said. Such was her own roaring wall of rage. By then, the spoilt daughter, who in order to keep an eye on her husband and then rob his remaining assets, already knew a thing or two about messing with AIs, had begun poking around to see what had happened to White Raven. Basically, the ship had been electronically hijacked by parties unknown, and that was unheard of. A machine was a machine was a machine came with its personality and a set of behaviours, and that was that. One machine could not 
and would not interfere with another. The very idea was both offensive and ridiculous, but the spoilt daughter wasn't altogether adverse to a bracing spot of the naughty and the weird, so she found a tiny loophole in the drinking water management system, then hooked up a simple diagnostics panel and proceeded to look deeper. What she found going on was seriously outside the norms of our good. Long numbers, weird command lines that mutated and then hid themselves. The spoilt daughter had heard of this type of thing, but it belonged to a sinister culture that she assumed had disappeared into deep space self-banishment. Okay, right. The Lanterns. Thimble Winter had mentioned them, and the spoilt daughter had paid attention to that part. The ones with the wolf mouth and terrible reputation. But this wasn't them, was it? The woman ship was 100% Nordic diaspora in heavy dreamtime mode. Yet Thimble Winter had somehow got its thieving paws on a computer and had used it to seize White Raven. Impressive. The spoilt daughter didn't want to think about the social engineering that little caper would have entailed. Some unwitting walk-on players had had to have been involved. But credit where credit was due. The womanship had skills. Thimble Winter may have been born yesterday, and broken too, but after these poor beginnings, she had then most definitely stayed up all night. The spoilt daughter went back to the womanship's story and actually listened this time, hoping for clues. The first time she tuned out, there had been a lot about the ship's owner, Ivar Holthfrom, who sounded a typical, scandalous Scandinavian spacefarer. He'd done some bad things as a freebooter, then made his cash and turned respectable. Part of his social arrival had been to make a big deal out of chopping up a starship, this Thimble Winter, to make his great hall look better for the traditionally minded. Then massive violence happened, and later a young Chancer had showed up and put Thimble Winter back together and, and, she was hungry. The spoilt daughter grabbed herself some oatmeal biscuits and salad. She ate all that, then poured a sparkling wine and sat back, a little calmer now. She drank the wine in one gulp and poured herself another goblet. Calmer still. The blue ice was mostly gone now. It hadn't melted. It just seemed to evaporate. Okay. A forced, ship-wide, deep sterilization had occurred most probably deadly to all life in its path. A nightmare for rodents, and appropriately enough our crew of rogues had fled. But she was alive, and this didn't look at all like the work of the policing authorities. So start again. Slam start. Preach. Sister. I am Thimble Winter, and I was broken before I was born. And this is true. 
My first owner was Ivar Halfrom. He was a very wealthy man and chieftain of a great hall of our good known as the Midnight Isle. In the way of such heroes, as he approached old age, Ivar Halfrom wanted all the worlds to know of his great success. So he had the new-made Thimble Winter cut into several pieces as a wonder to both his guests and the island weather. Slam stop. Okay, heroes. The old croc sounded like half the smug, scanned magnates the sport daughter had ever heard of. He had his nice place on a distant world and now needed something edgy to nicely set off his good fortune and raffishly hint at its dangerous origins. But this wasn't his story, remember. He had his part in the saga, but this was all about Thimble Winter and what she wants to do now. Follow that slam start to all both the seen and unseen Ivar Halfrom said look at what I am willing to lay as my stake on this my island for I have ventured far and seen all that there is to see I have taken everything that has either caught my eye or pleased my purse in the spirit of our good that wise amalgam of true folk that has held the peace for half a millennium? Slam stop. Well, that's all a lie, the spoilt daughter thought. Our good, even a lucky little rich girl like me knows that bad things go on and that the baseline nature of the speckle path is chaos. He's talking up a barely enduring status quo. Slam start. So... The old man said, There is now nothing more for me but to hear your praise. Oh, classic, thought the spoiled daughter. And folk came, and the years passed in adulation and happy reminiscence. And this is true. Then one night there was a great feast. It was Ivar Halfrom's name day and many friends and old allies from his freebooting days were there to pay their respects and enjoy the hospitality of the one they sometimes called Old Wondermouth. Old Wondermouth! Love it, thought the spoilt daughter. For it is true that in his years on the island, Ivor Halfrom had become as famous for his ability to weave a saga as for his participation in the heroic events thus described. In his cups, old Wondermouth could story tell, at such length and in such depth, that the darkness of his mind could fill a whole hall. And in truth, as Ivor Halfrom related a further tale of this or that adventure, his own eyes would close as the great hall's unattended fires burnt out and many, if not most, of the assembled host would be sound asleep and the only ending could be the sun, or rather the sun's, first rays. It was said that old Wondermouth could describe the ending of all things as it happened, and still find a thing or two to expand upon even after that calamitous event had stilled every other voice. And this is true. But on this particular night, the one of his name day, the storytelling didn't get so far. 
to start with, there had been a tantalising intrigue. Early in the evening, workmen had pitched up and begun constructing a large mechanism at the very door of his great hall. What are those scruffy fellows up to? Halfram asked the chief houseguard. Men like that look like they should be taking things away, not building them up. The chief houseguard said, I believe that it is for a surprise, boss. We've been looking at the gear. It's all legit and safely assembled. So this is not a gallows to hang me from. Well, that's a relief. The frame is a standard heavy loading arch with some ground rails and other provisions about it. Altogether, we're thinking that it could handle any number of large cargo types. For a moment, Halfram wondered at just what a wonderful gift all this gear could be heralding. A sculpture, maybe, or great machine. Any idea who sent this? he asked the chief houseguard. They claim ignorance and allude to the many grateful folk that might wish you a surprise. Indeed, that is truly a considerable number. And they all owe me a favour, or three. Of course, sir. Well, they made quick work of it, and already seemed near finished. When they are done, give them a navvy's cold supper and a little mild ale. But keep them away from the guests. Yes, sir. Splendid. Now off you go, man. As it pleases you, sir, don't spare another thought on the matter. But... Later, with the cargo holding frame erected, whatever had been planned seemed to fall apart unfulfilled. The unused frame was largely out of sight from his seat at the head of the table, and Sir Halfram returned to his feasting with only the occasional thought of which well-wisher might have humiliated themselves with this elaborate yet incomplete gesture. The Great Hall's kitchens had access to some excellent farms on another island, and everybody feasted well, and drank even better. As the hour drew late, Ivar Halfrom was discussing his adventures of the high verticals, these being his prospecting days from which much of his first fortune had first come. As the stories came from a seldom discussed part of his life, listeners gathered with more enthusiasm than was usual. Every great leader of our good usually had a few shady years buried far back in their histories that they were not too happy to talk about. Damn right, thought the spoilt daughter, and you should try going out for dinner with these knaves. Their conversation was sheer tedium, enlivened only by the very occasional anecdotal hint of high crimes from their younger days. The saga continued. Now it seemed that by some magic of intoxication and candor, his guests were at last getting to what many would call the Dark Archive. Ivar Halfrom spoke of an early encounter with a particularly chilling shadow society of this speckled path. These humans, named the Sons of Sons, were desperate denizens of a far-flung trading system and were bent on vengeance against an alien horde that had massacred their people. They sought weapons and training in order to retaliate. Halfrom, a proud ex-military man, boasted of his contacts both in the Colour Army and amongst adventurous veterans able to arrange 
suitable assistance, all for a handsome bounty. Once he was paid a sizable advance, Halfram immediately then moved on, reneging on all his promises of martial assistance. He did nothing for these sons of sons, as he was unwilling to become involved in what seemed to him a profitless pursuit. Years passed, as Halfram used his early war profits to invest in a variety of pursuits and ventures of ever-increasing respectability, and in truth, he thought very little more of the Sons of Sons. Even the name of that alien horde that threatened them was forgotten to him. And so, in time, Halfram became well known as a shrewd trader, and out in the wastes of the high verticals he had a reputation for fairness in settling the occasional disputes that flared in those lively and largely unpoliced parts. In short, Halfram was building the political skills and reputation most pleasing to our good, and as a man can only spend so many years far from home, he began to think about finding a place back amongst his people. Then one night, a very bad dream. He dreamed that he was on a starship. A stranger entered his cabin and stood over his bed, and Halfram could not move to fight him or even shout out. He was in the mind ocean of deep space, and yet this demon had found him. The stranger did not seem made of real stuff. He wore a ridiculous dark uniform designed of military pretensions and mock grandeur, rather than evoking nobility and the honour of high standing in its cut and build. This tailor's joke made the dream visitor appear like a prisoner's dolly, a figure that was constructed from scraps and poor cloth, something that was part of a wretched ritual in a cell's sorry corner. Say my name, the stranger hissed. Say my name. But Halfram could not. His life had already been long with complexity and adventure, and although he guessed that this figure was part of the alien horde whose extinction had been the fraudulent project that first made him his fortune, the name simply did not come. Say my name, the figure hissed again. But Halfram could not and would not. What was this witchcraft? He was not a child to be frightened by spectres. Even paralysed like this, he would not submit, and so he stared in rage at the creature to demonstrate that his own burning will was the prevailing greater force. And soon the figure faded back into the dark and was gone. And this was true. Now, years later and on the other side of the speckle path, sat amongst the people he loved on what indeed was his own naming day, Halfron sipped deeply of his cup and he laughed first quietly, and then with a great roar that looked up to what seemed like a horde of the soundly fast asleep. And I still cannot remember the fucker's name. That's the very joke of it. 
Alfrom looked around. All were indeed silent and slumped. But three figures now stood before him, and behind them was should be a star field visible through the Great Hall's windows, just past that absurd cargo rig was now darkened by the great shape of a ship. Halfrom recognised it right away. It was one of the vast, scrappy ships from that trouble on the first moon. He remembered the reports and his own opinion on the matter was that those greedy crooks at Enchanted River Corporation had been overreaching again. He may be old and very drunk, but Halfrom understood what was happening here. He moved to jump up, but was struck down by the flat of his own sword. Then he was crawling for a short gun that he saw under the table, but another heavy blow on his shoulders caused him to yell out and twist, looking now for help from any of the company that was not already dead. The attackers were all around him then, and still they would not strike the killing blow. What do you cowards want? he shouted. You have slaughtered everyone here. What do you want? Our money, you dirty old swine. You cheated us. You promised to end the persecution, and yet you kept it all. So we, the last survivors, led these monsters to you. First in dreams, then in a symbol that the vicious aliens might understand. You mean the rig outside? Yes, for that is their language, the language of the built, and they recognise this from another place and will now remember what to do, for they are here. Pay now, whoremaster, this is your last chance. If I pay you, will I then live? Halfrom asked. No, but you shall die, an honest man, the figure told him. Then go to damnation. Hell, my friend, is already here, and its name is Rari. Slam, stop. Okay, the spoilt daughter thought. The now deceased guests at the feast were correct. This was getting interesting. There is a matter of honour here, and also missing funds. Interesting, indeed. These beleaguered souls from far away had put their faith in the apprentice conman, and to return the favour, Ivor Halfrom had robbed them. Thus, he invited Nemesis upon himself. And yet he had learned nothing, even refusing to take the shining way right at the end. A twisted saga indeed, and where would this lead but to a voyage of redemption? Thimble Winter wanted to be freed from the reputation of a man who had broken and shamed her. Now, back to the story of the wolf mouth and the sightless boy. The spoilt daughter had only been half listening and wanted to go over all that again, with particular focus on the wolf mouth, missing funds and the possible location of this treasure. Slam start. Nothing. 
the woman's ship was still frozen. Very well, the spoilt daughter thought. I've now broken it. Good. Then the woman's ship smiled, breaking the loop like, Hello, do I have your attention now? Barely containing her rage, the spoilt daughter leant forward and calmly told this wild and ravishing vision, I have a thousand questions. And I am Thimble Winter. Your friend is on my crew. Really? Who? Felicia. What? This whole mission was to seek out her dearest, oldest friend. All the spoilt daughter had taken to guide her quest were vague coordinates. For once, the spoilt daughter was lost for words. Met with silence, the woman's ship prompted. You know who she is, the tall one. I know who Felicia is. I know who that wonderful girl is better than she knows herself. For a moment, they simply glared at one another. The sport daughter knew that the image she was looking at was a construct, but behind the illusion was a controlling intelligence, and she was glaring at that. The starship Thimble Winter glared straight back. On guard, thought the sport daughter. It's almost comical how much I want to wipe your clock, lady. Eventually, Thimblewinter broke the silence. We are on a mission to return the Sons of Sons money, so that I may regain my honour and be free. We stopped at the lantern station for a technical upgrade and to gather intelligence on the Rari. Some of my crew believed that they even killed the alien god. Well, that's a lie, said the sport daughter. You cannot kill what's already dead, and vengeance has a life of its own. Exactly, smiled the woman's ship, but my crew believe they mean well. Maybe, but I'm guessing that they're also venal, whimsical chances, speculated the spoilt daughter. And you need someone who knows how to really get things done. Thimble Winter held her smile. So, would you care to join us? I know that your friend would be very happy to see you, and I could certainly use your pugnacious opportunism. The spoilt daughter grinned. I really don't know how else to name your talent. Cunning, perhaps. A novel skill set that has been somewhat forced upon me too. I made myself a virtual computer based on machine scans obtained from a robot associate, but I'm not sure how to use it. This was perhaps a trial. Wait, said the spoilt daughter. You took control of this ship and let the White Raven crew go? Yes, that is exactly what I did. Well, I'd say that your skills are already most usably dangerous. Why, thank you. Our good is extremely vulnerable to this kind of attack. I know they are such innocents in this and so much else. Yes, 
and there may be more sophisticated enemies ahead. But also I need someone to turn these powers to good. The spoiled daughter grinned. And you're asking me for that? From what I know about you, said the woman ship, everything that you do is for love. And I envy that. Maybe that's true, the sport daughter lied. Sort of. Then, what about the control and commercial exploitation of a wolf mouth? You know how to do that, don't you? That information would be incredibly valuable. Maybe we'll talk about that. If you are cooperative. The spoilt daughter just had to laugh. And laugh hard. If you are cooperative. How many times had that clause invited both blaze and mayhem for the speaker? What do you like to be called? Asked the woman ship. I like to be called by my name, which is Lysha. That's a very pretty name. It'll do, shrugged Lysha. But one thing still confuses me. If you were broken up and not working, how did you know these details? About the great feast, an old wankermouth story. My sister was there. She's a great warrior. Did she die with the rest? No. I told her to let it happen and then bury her head. Gods! Yes, sisters can be brutal. I'll maybe think about your proposal, said Lysha. Bye. The woman ship Thimble Winter fixed her smile, then broke contact. Lysha poured another drink, vodka this time, and picking at the remains of her salad, considered her options. Thimble Winter was definitely off the air for now. All the screens were showing a simple set of runes, and she had absolutely no interest in deciphering the message. Reading runes could do things to you. They messed with your head and brought on psychological changes that may not work in your favour. Avoid was Lysha's approach. This much was very clear. However, she was currently a prisoner on White Raven. But also this, Lysha had a starship. She couldn't control it. Thimble Winter was doing all the controlling, but Lysha had a starship. She couldn't pilot it yet. But as starships went, Lysha had been abandoned on a pretty fine example of the species. White Raven was a collection of interconnected, rounded-off cubes that had been designed to form a vaguely aerodynamic wedge. Lysha was guessing New Caledonia engineering with a Venetian studio finish. The cubic exterior was pearly grey rather than white. JP had used its sporty lines to attract a well-paying clientele, and that first impression had certainly worked with her. It was just a shame that the service didn't extend to any form of crew loyalty. But really, would she miss them? And talking of which, they'd obviously left in a hurry. What goodies may they have left behind? 
There were five cabins and Lysha always loved looking through poor people's belongings. So a quick audit might kill a bit of time. Besides, who knows? There might be weapons. Lysha picked up her glass and went for a look. The first cabin she visited belonged to the bodyguards. Renel and Jax had inhabited a pit of unwashed clothes, performance-enhancing drug vials and two separate troves of unsettling erotic figurines. Disgusting. But Lysha persisted. Soon she found a dark sword shirt that she quite liked and a box of salt candies. But no knives or firearms. Perhaps that part of J.P.'s sales pitch had been correct. Specialists in empty hand combat techniques. So things got rough. They wouldn't start blasting merrily away and blow a hole in White Raven's side, causing gruesome vacuum deaths for friend and foe alike. No blades, though. Lysha guessed that spoke of another precaution. Copious bloodshed was a nightmare in zero gravity. You could inhale seven hells of disease. Reynold and Jack would use their fists, feet and elbows to neutralise the threat. Or, in the case of actual reality, simply show a clean pair of heels and run away. Top men. Worth their weight in gold, which is what she'd paid them. Lysha wrapped the candies in the surprisingly clean sword shirt, then unwrapped the candies and gobbled them in one crammed mouthful. Then she put the sword shirt back on and took a good old gulp of the vodka. Lysha moved on. She was now beginning to rather enjoy herself. Chains and elm months had kept a surprisingly clean love den and stepping over what she imagined was a still warm bed yuck to pull back an old silk drape Lysha found a remarkable domestic shrine because there they all were generation upon generation of proto elmuncy and ur chaineses a large board was pinned with drawings and photographs of dozens of family members. The images went back years and years and every one of the subjects appeared to be giving Lysha the stink eye. Where was that gruesome snap of a pair of scowling twins taken? Heavy skies and cheap workers' housing. It looked like Norsk Caledonia. Had these been shipwrights' kids? And there, that wedding... It actually looked quite fun. Hard-working folk, all a bit squiffy around the gills, and dressed in their best, and altogether really rather smart. The setting was grey desert. Is that an armed guard in the background? Was this Persia? And more and more. Faces. Locations. A moss-roofed forest school in the far five states. A newborn in a hospital that could be Anglish. Even a young Elmunds, dressed in a spacesuit for his first job on a close orbit station. What was he? Twelve in that picture? So young, really, so very young for dangerous work like that. But he'd survived, as he'd survived this as well. 
grabbing the missus and headed straight for the escape pod when things got tricky. Maybe that was the message here. Family as a meditation on survival. In a way, it was all rather beautiful, thought Lysha. This board belongs in the picture gallery of a great hall because there was a message. And it was a good message that would shame many of the stuck-up idiots who drifted their days through the deeply silly, gilded world of great halls and boring feasts. Thimble Winter should feel bad about being the cause of this singular, spontaneous artwork to be abandoned. The images went back hundreds of years and had been well maintained. A whole dynasty. Lysha decided to keep it. Maybe there was some way that she could arrange to have it returned to Chains and L months later. After all, Lysha's intention was to, amongst other things, capture and then exploit a wolf mouth. There would be nothing that she couldn't do then as the latest big wheel of the speckle path. Was that the plan? Lysha had folded the board under her arm and cocked her head to one side. She took another sip of the vodka, which mixed nicely with the salt candy residue, created a burning, vanilla deliciousness. Could she rule this galaxy? Yes, why not? No kings was the rule. People organised themselves through voting. But with such a system, everyone always acted like such idiots that to Lysha, it was almost rude not to consider the possibility of instigating her own benign dictatorship. Next was Ginnett's kennel. Nothing there. The man travelled light. He had some cheap work clothes scattered about, and on the small table he left a collection of neatly folded food wrappers from the long room. He did like his daily flatbread and pasted pepperfish, and after he ate them he folded up the wrapper, proper and decent. In a way, Lysha quite liked this cabin, possibly even better than the others, including her own. It contained a thrilling bleakness. Lysha could gather her thoughts here, so she paused and let her new circumstances soak in. In a way, it was all rather exciting, having these thoughts. Nothing here, nothing there, just me. Then suddenly, Lysha's mind pulled a trick. Blood, blood, blood. She imagined the claret flying everywhere. Gods, but she was a wicked thing. Move on. Poor old Marley's quarters contained pretty much what Lysha had anticipated, minus the evidence of debauchery, which was disappointingly absent. Her drug stash was far from recreational and were mostly painkillers for what seemed the poor thing's tummy ulcer problems. Next to these were a few cheap yet serviceable cosmetics, including a bottle of perfume that looked like nothing much. Thin plastic, the imprint of a flower Lysha doubted was even horticulturally accurate. 
but sampling the cheap perfume was really rather amazing. It was the essence of a hot, dark night in the sultry back streets of Meirit after a bullfight. Lysha had always wanted this scent, but not known what to ask for, and she had never smelt it on Marley either. Lysha was definitely taking that. The underwear was in good supply, but almost comically practical, and there seemed no evidence of any life of the mind beyond a set of well-read, waxy pamphlets by one of those charlatan gurus. Our good would do well to run out of the territories but didn't. There was a vinyl pouch containing some very serviceable-looking general tools. The lady had a practical sight too, and in there Lysha found a small black metal machete. She snagged that too before leaving the cabin, feeling a bit rotten about herself. Marley had hated her. There were times Lysha even hated herself. But in the end, who cared whatever people thought? And that scent was a definite keeper. So was the machete. Finally, she came to the skipper's cabin. JP's space was larger than the others and felt more lived in. He had a closet full of quite interesting, lightly armoured expedition technical outfits that were all too large for her and none boasting animated camouflage, which was boring. A big box of dark sword shirts and leggings, but these were also uninspired. So Lysha stepped over some discarded boots, and then the mirror wall came on. Wow. A full mirror wall. This demanded her attention. At first, Lysha saw herself full length and looking chaotic. Her hair was a mess and she had all this random loot under her arm. So Lysha tossed the image board and the machete on the cot and gave herself a thorough looking over. The sword shirt was baggy but classy. It was designed to slant at one side so you could easily grab at your trusty blade. She tucked the machete into her belt where a sword should be and thought that's pretty good. She stood up straight and let her hair down. Lysha knew that her long blonde hair and pale brown eyes always looked good with her dark honey skin, plus a lean frame because worry will do that to you. Lysha adjusted the machete sword and stood with her feet apart. Better. More swagger. Is this how JP had started his days on the ship. The mirror wall was very clean. He clearly wiped it, the vain fellow, and there had been a studied casualness to his personal style. A well-worn military shirt with dark patches where the original insignia had been removed. Leather leggings ragged around the hem, above bare tanned feet. Always bare feet. J.P., had looked the part. Now, what about me? Lysha wondered. Maybe reaching for the nightmare of the midnight galaxy, which was a little too much for a beginning. But Starship Skipper. Lysha knew that by law, Thimble Winter would have a nominal master. Just some dupe for the palm prince. 
quite possibly the man-boy who'd found the broken ship. And considering all the illicit stuff this woman's ship was into, this young fellow clearly ruled with a somewhat wobbly hand. Sooner or later, they'll link up, Thimble Winter and she. Then, the boy could be dealt with. Blood, blood, blood. She spun the machete in her hand and imagined the red stuff flying everywhere. Yes, Starship Skipper. Yes, Lysha was nothing if not ambitious and why stop at the speckle path? There were many more galaxies. As far as Lysha knew, no one had actually been to any of these further realms. But becoming a starship skipper, that would be a start. Again, Lysha checked herself in the mirror and then she stepped closer. Now with both her palms pressed to her mirror world palms, Lysha gazed into her own eyes, wondering why she hadn't noticed these before. Those pale brown eyes with the slightest outer layer of gold and the inner essence that she was looking for spoke back and sharing a smile asked, who is this terrible girl? Thank you.